0: Hello, beautiful, lightful souls. I am so excited to have another near-death experiencer on my channel this evening. Tony Woody is going to talk with me about his experiences as an instructor, flight engineer in the Navy, and his profound experiences, really. I've uh, heard him speak at INS and on a few different videos, so I'm really excited to have you here, Tony. Thank you.
1: I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Tricia. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yes, and... Mm-hmm. I do want other people to check out the links to Tony's website and other places, and also I have a near-death experience summit with several different speakers that I want you to check out as well. But my first question to you, Tony, is you had your experience at 24. I was around 22 when I had mine, so there's a really clear line of who I was before and after, (laughs) and I've heard you say something similar. Who were you before and who were you after?
1: Uh, Before? I was uh, married, had a three, little over three, about a three-year-old son at the time. Uh, I had about thirty-five hundred hours flight time experience in the military already. I was an instructor flight engineer by then. Uh, grew up in a small town in East Texas. Joined the Navy at eighteen years old. Had a you know Southern Baptist uh, religion in, in, uh, in East Texas, and that was my belief system and. Um, Everything changed. In one oh, wow. Day. <laughs> so,
0: so yeah, I think I heard you say on a video that you went and you told your experience to a minister. Was that a Southern Baptist minister? And uh, it wasn't accepted Southern or?
1: Baptist by then I was uh in Hawaii. I was stationed in Hawaii. We were going to a Baptist church, but it wasn't Southern Baptist. There's the oh. difference. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And was it accepted your near death experience? Or not at all.
1: Um nope. Uh, Matter of fact, the guy turned his, he just didn't say anything. He kind of tilted his head and gave me this odd look and then he just turned his back on me and walked away. Just, I was like, I was dumbfounded. You know, I, I needed help. That's what I needed.
0: Do you think, and I've been thinking about this recently that our experiences are so emotional and they're so profound and they're so experiential, you know, like I've, I've heard you talk about how close you felt to God and that love and how it was overpowering. Do you think that perhaps it's too much for some people,
1: you know, our our stories? I've learned over time. that In the beginning, I was, you know, I was, I needed to talk, you know, (laughs) I was trying to, I learned quickly. I couldn't talk to anybody in the military about it. You know, I mean, I had a secret clearance at the time. And I was a flight engineer, instructor, flight engineer, you start talking like that and you're not going to be flying much longer or be in the, in the Navy much longer. And, uh, and I clearly loved what I was doing and I wasn't about to give that up. So I clammed up
0: and that's wow. not healthy either.
1: It right. doesn't work. The light in you is going to come out, <laughs> like it or not. Right. So Rather than fight it, let it. But I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't know any of that.
0: Um, So do you feel like your belief system changed almost immediately? I know mine did, and I just, I couldn't see the world the same.
1: I don't know about changed instantly. Mine, I'm an engineer, okay? So before I change anything, I investigate and make sure I know. And I knew the standard because I was there. I was in the light. So I knew what I was looking for. I just didn't know where to find it or how to go look for it, you know? I didn't know any of that, and I just it took a long time, but for the first 20 years, pretty much I just didn't talk at, anymore about it. and uh, that created all kinds of problems in my life. I ended up you know cost me a marriage. that stuff happens. I might have go into detail about that, but it was a struggle. It was a tremendous struggle. I think a lot of that could have been avoided had I simply been validated in the beginning and let me talk about it as if I were normal because I am normal. I just (laughs) needed some help, you know? (laughs) That's all I wanted.
0: One of my big pushes and big hopes is that... We, as near-death experiencers, can bridge that gap between a lot of conservative Christians and Christians, and we can strengthen their faith, not frighten them. You know, I think these experiences are so overwhelming to some people when they hear, you
1: know, and and we're passionate about it. I'm like, I know God. and I. Um, The reason it's overwhelming to them is because they can't, I don't know how to make them feel it, and they can't imagine what it feels like when you're in the light if I could just touch someone and then have them have that experience, there would be no fear. There wouldn't be no, um, you're crazy. There would none of that. They'd be like, I can't wait to tell somebody, you know, that's <laughs> what happens. <laughs> I know. I
0: feel like I need to lead meditations where we just allow people to imagine what it's like. I mean, I've heard you talk about, um, all the mothers on earth, you know, sending all their love. And that's not enough. I felt like I, was surrounded by love in ways that it was like a bubble of love that was like a blast, an atomic blast of love. Like I can't even yes. describe how much love it was. I never wanted to leave that no. much love.
1: There's nothing else I want.
0: And, yeah. <laughs> and so I wish that there was a meditation. I wish there was a way to just like make people feel for just a little while how amazing that is.
1: Just an instant is all it needs. That's all I need, an instant of that. Yeah. It's yeah. still happening to me sometimes. I don't control it. I don't, I, I don't have that full-blown lighting. I'll tell you what happened. And I'm not going to use her name because I don't want to, because it's her privacy, you know. But she was a my massage therapist that I'd been seeing for a couple of years. And this happened in 2017. <clears throat> and she was seven months pregnant at the time and knew that she was going to have a boy named, a baby boy, and, and was going to name him Noah. I already knew all that. And we were friends. I'd been seeing her for a couple of years. So um, over time, as we got to know each other, we started sharing our lives a little bit about what's going on in them. And we would help each other through difficult stuff sometimes. And so both of us had some anxiety issues going on that morning about different things going on in our lives. Uh, and then after that, I started talking to her you know, I was telling you, I know the standard that I've been looking for years and years, decades, over three decades, well over three decades, before um, it came, the answers that I was looking for, I believe, for me, my answers came through this lady named Lilia. contacted me, had seen my, one of my videos, and found a way to reach me. And we ended up talking, and she started <coughs> telling me about... Uh, She's so funny. She said, I'm, I'm a girly girl. You know, I didn't want to sit down and listen to your engineer stuff, you know, (laughs) and this was one of the early ones. It was long. And I wasn't very good at telling my story then. And, but she said, God kept telling me to go back and sit down and she'd have to go back and finish it. And then there came a part in that video when I said, I've been looking for over 30 years and I still haven't found what I think is the truth. And that was her impetus to call me. And so she started telling me about the St. Germain Foundation and the, um, the, uh, their books called the uh, I Am Discourses and things like that and how, it's, how those books came into being. And so she was so – her friend Nancy had, 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 had a 19-year-old son years ago that had been killed in an accident, and these were his books, and they mailed them to me. They felt like I needed these books so much that Nancy gave me her son's to see son's books that she had had for decades. It was years ago when he died. Okay. But she gave them to me. And so that was overwhelmingly, I wasn't expecting that at all, but they, they did that. And I started reading these books and I read uh, things that really made sense to me. And I'm like, that's exactly what I was feeling over there. That's how it works. That's what I experienced. I know that that law of light is it's called the law of love. And it dominates and is what controls and uh, powers the whole universe. And nothing isn't powered by that. Nothing. And so uh, I'm reading these books. And one of the things that it's the only time I've ever seen this for over 30 years, these words were written in one sentence. And that's when I went. I got it right here. It's, it described the light as liquid, molten, golden, white light. Mm-hmm. In one sentence. I'm like, never have I ever read that anywhere. And I have read thousands and thousands of books over decades. I mean, I'm, everything i get my hands on, I was trying to learn about it. Thank Nowhere you. did I read that line like that. It also called it the love star. Huh. Perfect. Per- you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Those, those things resonated with me because I knew that's what I said. There's nowhere else I've ever read that described it like that. And I knew I was reading what I needed to be, the, what I thought was the truth. So I'm on my back getting my massage. Rosalind's working on my uh, thigh and hip on my right. And I've got my head up a little bit just so I can look in her eyes and talk. And I'm telling her about these books and I'm getting excited about it. And as soon as I said the words liquid molten golden white light, you're talking about that Power and the energy level the surging it surged through me and it was like a, a it was peace it was divine peace it was specifically peace okay God has a way of making this energy hit you and you know what it's for it's for peace or it's for uh, compassion or it's for hope or love those things each individual one has its own signal or something I don't know what to call it but it, you know what it is, and. It roared through me. It was like a billion freight trains all at once. And just for a solid minute, I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. It cut my voice off. All I could do was drop my head back on the table. And I started, I had tears going down the side of my head. And it finally subsided. And I could move again. I raised my head up and I looked at Rosalind, and she's frozen she's still got her hands on me and she's looking at me and her eyes are huge and they're wet and, and we're looking right at each other i said did you feel that and she goes uh-huh
0: oh my god Noah it did too wow yeah wow you know as we're talking about this, I think that energetically, we near-death experiencers—and we'll have to talk about this in another show at another time—I think we are going to activate more and more people on an energetic level.
1: To I, this I didn't do that. I want to wait a minute. But, I, yeah, but it was I God. That, <laughs> that had, it had nothing to do with me. I didn't control it. I didn't ask for it. It was God's choice, and I— had, yeah. all I was was a conduit for God to do that. And I don't yeah. know me.
0: Yeah, no, but I think that we're so in touch with it, and we know what it is that you know we beg for it in a way, like we miss it. So there is this chance that it, that God can work through us in those powerful ways. And yeah. and I know that just hearing other people's stories kind of energetically puts me back in the light. And that's why I've continued to keep doing these interviews because I might go in meditation and experience some of your light tonight. You know that you experienced, and it is it is just-
1: contagious. The uh, <laughs> in a way that that's why we need to go out and shine our own light. Because if one photon of love light penetrates someone else's heart, you just planted a seed. It may not be this lifetime or the next one, but it's planted and it'll grow because Mm. it never, ever fails. The light never, ever fails. No matter what we think's going on on the outer activity here, we don't have the big picture at all not even close no. <laughs> well, Yeah. And so, so that's where faith comes in and believing that uh, you know it's all for a reason and a purpose and we're being protected and uh, we're precious we're all loved so much every one of us and I don't know what the total plan is but it's gonna be awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah so
0: I, I agree. And I want to take you back now to the story that you're asked to tell a lot. But before I do, why do you think it's important for all of us to tell our stories? I have my ideas. I think that probably a different group of people connects with you and you open them up because of your military background. Yeah. Um, I th- but I think that all of these individual stories are important because different people gravitate to each one, but it really reminds everyone of home. It reminds us of our soul's journey and our greater journey right. and the importance of love but what why do you think it's important to keep telling these stories
1: um well for me i'm more focused on the military aspect of it I, mean, I want i'll help whoever i can that comes into my life that god puts there because that's what we're here to do but uh you know my focus is trying to help the military because they're suffering you know it's just about that i don't want them to suffer anymore anybody with that the mental torture and fear of Oh God, doom's coming. I'm going to die. You know, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. You're going to die, but just your body. <laughs> the rest of you is going to have an awesome ride. <laughs> of amazing things in my career in the military. I've been, uh, all over the world. I've flown at 200 feet off the water. I've been, uh, at air shows doing 300 knots at 300 feet in a 90 degree bank over the field, uh, been upside down on purpose in an airplane doing defense air combat maneuver training before Gulf War one stuff in a four engine heavyweight. Okay. And that's not a jet. We were in a four engine airplane upside down, that kind of stuff. And it just, none of that as fun as it was is anywhere near the thrill ride over there. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll trade all that. As much as I love being a flight engineer, I'd give that up. I give up any of it. None of this is, that good, that wonderful, that perfect,
0: yeah, so i I totally agree, there is no risk, there is no drug, there is nothing on this earth, there is no love there that, that compares to that love, there just isn't, and so we're always getting pieces of it here, and the best that I can do i don 't know if you feel this, is I just want to bring it through me, you know, and that 's part of why I tell my story too, is it helps me connect to it and. And bring it through to the world and so your story is a powerful one and it's um, an interesting one so if you would begin with that flight and give me some background uh, I don't really uh, know that much about maybe flying so
1: <laughs> oh well it's it's a little different from your typical flying in, in the civilian sector obviously um, but um, it's a 70 ton uh, four-engine heavyweight turboprop aircraft called a P3 Orion and um, I've got a little over 10,000 flight hours in them, but I started learning how to fly in the plane, learning how to be a flight engineer in the plane at 19 years old. Uh, and by the time I was 21, I was already qualified flying uh, as the sole flight engineer on the airplane, taking them out. So I got pretty experienced at it. By the time the incident happened, <coughs> I had been flying, I think about maybe eight years, seven, eight years, something like that, seven years. And uh, i'm now stationed in hawaii at barbers point naval air station and this is in 1982 and they had what was called the rim pack exercises which are uh rim of the pacific it's the largest military uh, joint military exercise in the world you have all kinds of countries australia japan uh, thailand all kinds of different uh, uh other countries involved and they'll do all kinds of different things and part of it is uh we would have the red enemy and the and the blue and the red team, right? Red's enemy, whatever. We had we were the opposite, and we'd go out and try and track the other guy's submarine and stuff like that. So it was our turn. And it's training at the same time, right? And uh, so we take off uh, for a twelve-hour flight, and we call it the airplane's what we call bagged out. We had it max allowable takeoff weight, all the fuel you could carry, all the crew, all the son buoys, everything else we needed. It was maximum takeoff weight. We get in the air, get to about 10,000 feet uh, as we're headed out over the water to go do a mission. And we have a fe- malfunction on number one engine, which is a left outboard engine. And we shut it down. You can't dump all the fuel you want. So we dumped what we could. We have to get rid of some of the fuel because you can't land too heavy because you have a maximum allowable land weight that you do not want to exceed or you can damage the aircraft uh, if you hit too hard. You can structurally, it would never fly again. So we Burn fuel, da- dump fuel, then burned down fuel for another 45 minutes and went back to declare an emergency and land. Um, we came in to land on runway 4040 zero four zero left, zero 040 zero is the heading, parallel runways, runway four right is however far away to the right, you uh, know, a few hundred yards. And when you make a uh, emergency landing and declare an emergency landing, they will have fire trucks or emergency fire, uh, equipment right on the side of the runway and they'll sit in an angle and as you go by they'll pull in and go behind you and then the next two as you go further down are pulling behind them and there so there's always somebody right there in case something goes wrong and they need you you need them in a hurry and usually that's a good thing right having them right there ready <clears throat> not that day uh for whatever reasons uh, the pilot Put in incorrect rudder when we landed and you expect a swerve with an engine out on the left side to swerve to the right because you have bigger more reverse thrust on the right side because you got more two engines pulling there than one on the so you're going to swerve so you use the rudder to control it and get you back on center line on the runway so you can stay on the where you need to be for some reason he put in incorrect rudder now when we landed because we were so heavy, we were way faster than our normal airspeed and uh, for usual landing weight. To give you an idea of the difference in weight, normally we would land at the end of a long flight. We'd have 8,000 pounds of fuel left on board. We can carry a total of 62,000.
0: And are we'd you land landing four, on a ship or are you landing? On the, air,
1: on the land, on runway. It's okay. on a regular yeah. runway. So there's parallel runways. You got two of them and we're on the left one as we're coming in. But, and we departed it to the right toward the other runway fortunately. Uh, But anyway, um, where was I? I forgot what I was saying a minute ago. So we're we're headed off the runway. Oh, the, the, uh, the rudder control. So he starts putting in incorrect rudder and at those speeds, because we're going so fast, like I said, instead of landing with 8,000 pounds, we had 42,000 pounds still on board. So we we're really heavy going in fast. 135 knots. When we touched down, that's over 155 miles an hour. Things go wrong at those speeds. It happens in a hurry. And all of a sudden, as we, as we departed and started going to the right, I'm thinking he's going to correct with a rudder and get us back on the center line. And he, it went harder right because he put in more incorrect rudder, thinking he's putting in proper rudder and it made it worse and that's it. We're going off the runway. the next thing I know uh, <clears throat> I've got uh, a fire truck headed right at my right wing, and I'm dead and I know it. I got death coming at me at over hundred and fifty five miles hundred thirty five knots and there's nothing I can do about it. I you will not believe how much can go through your mind in about three seconds when you think that's all you got left. And my son and my wife and my family and I, I instantly knew what all mattered most. And, uh, and I, was ne- it was, I was about to lose it all. And then I was terrified. And in that moment, all of a sudden, um, I'm out of the airplane.
0: And by that, you mean your spirit? I'm (laughs) out of the airplane.
1: I'm up above the airplane going, Whoa, I don't know what's going on. I'm confused. I'm like, But I'm also still in the seat. I'm both places. And I'm seeing everything in super slow motion out all of a sudden, too. Everything changed. This temporal distortion, I don't know what to call it. It It's just slow motion thing. It was just all changed. And Uh, I didn't understand what was happening. I was very confused and very scared. Um, And the me that was outside though, was just as calm as just like I'm watching, observing, you know, I might as well have been watching a YouTube video. (laughs) It was that, you know, just observing and seeing things, not. Making any judgment of any of it, just watching everything. And whatever my attention got focused on. So the me and the flight station, I'm worried about the I'm thinking the number f- either the right engine, uh, number four propeller or the wing itself or the main landing gear, something's about to slam into that fire truck. That's right. That was when my body jumped, my soul jumped out of my body. And then I could see the blades spinning on the number four propeller and I watched two of the blades as they came around Now this plane's moving forward at 155 miles an hour right the blades are 13 feet in diameter from tip to tip they weigh 2200 pounds a piece the uh, engine the all four of them do the propeller system 2400 pounds turning at 1020 rounds a minute moving forward at 135 knots and it gapped the front left corner of that fire truck and one blade missed the front section of it and the second one passed back the back side of that corner And then it went on by and I could see the guy on the silver suit uh, water cannon on the top screaming his head off as the wing went over everything and missed by milli inches or whatever. I don't know, it was unbelievable. And I could see everything. I had unbelievable awareness. And uh, that's when things got really strange and I started seeing all this debris in the air. I saw this Pepsi can fly by the window. So me in the seat, seeing things, uh, I could read the Pepsi can, 10 ounces. I could see this fluid coming out of it. I could watch it all atomize. And then as the, anything that was in the air over, as this thing expand as my, I guess my consciousness expanded or something, but over as this thing evolved and we were moving, more dust and stuff was thrown up in the air because of the plane throwing everything around because we're now between the runways and planes don't go there. So there's a lot of debris, little debris stuff there. And everything that was in the air, I knew where it all was. Every one of them. I knew exactly what it was going to do. I knew where it had been, where it was going and what it was doing on the way and what should have been a totally chaotic experience was had this Just this feeling of sublime perfection going on that I didn't it was effortless. Just effortless. Yeah. I don't know how else to put it. It's just effortless. So how
0: did you know that it was not a daydream or a dream or you know, stress induced or PTSD? In that
1: moment, I didn't know anything. I'm just trying to figure it out. All right. A minute, a second ago, I'm doing my job. I wasn't drunk. I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't unconscious. I wasn't out of oxygen. I wasn't on any of that. I was sitting in the center seat of a 70 ton, four four engine, heavyweight airplane doing a three engine emergency landing as the flight engineer doing my job when it happened to me.
0: Right. And then suddenly, time and space
1: are different. (laughs)
0: They don't have the same meaning.
1: And that's. Will rock your world. All right. And so, as we're moving and we, We ended up going all the way across the asphalt between the two runways and ended up half on, half off the other runway. We came to a halt as we stopped. And all of that, uh, I I call it uh, fractured consciousness. I I don't know what else to call it. It all just back into me into the chair. And I'm trying, you know, (laughs) so raw. It's like, what the? hell was that you know yeah. <laughs> I at mr duffy and i still to this day i'm not sure if i said it to him because things were so bizarre when all that stuff was going on that it was not normal uh functioning of the mind or whatever was going on their consciousness or whatever it was everything was changed so i didn't know when i looked at him if I actually said to him, did you see that? Because I wanted to say something, but I, I, I didn't know what to say yet. I didn't know how to word it, how to ask it. But I thought I said, did you see that, like, somehow to him? And he's like, yeah, you know, like, kind of like, are you kidding me type sound, you know? But to this day, I can't tell you if I actually verbalized those words or we looked at each other and just I could hear each other's thought. I still am not sure because I was pretty rattled in that moment, too. You know, I just came off a massive adrenaline rush. When we stopped, when the plane stopped and all that pulled back into me, uh, I was exhausted. I just felt like I had ran five marathons back to back. I was wiped out tired. I looked over and I saw Duffy. I watched him slump when he came down off of his. And then he looked at me. And and that's when i not sure if I said the words or didn't. But I remember hearing them. Uh, And then I hear this whoop. Sound, you know, to my left. So I'm looking to my right, but then I hear that. And So Duffy and I, are, our eyes, our eyes are locked on each other as we're looking at each other, right? So I, as I, I, we're looking at each other, and then I hear that. I turn my head to the left, and that's the Lieutenant Lovgren who messed up the landing. Great pilot, you know, love the guy, but you know, he gooned the landing that day. What can I say? <laughs> uh, uh, he's stressed out. He's still on his adrenaline rush and he's white knuckling the yoke and he's trying to say something. And he goes, woo, woo, what the F did I do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, mean, I can't believe this has just happened, you know, and we're sitting there. Oh, it was nuts. And then we ended up adding power after the fire trucks got around us and we figured out nothing was wrong in the airplane and we rolled off It added power and rolled off on the other runway. So I started a landing on one runway. And I finished it on an entirely different runway.
0: No, okay. I have, yeah. So go
1: to the hangar, do all the post-flight duties, and I don't know what happened. I'm just kind of on automatic pilot and doing my post-flight because I've done so many of them, I don't have to think about it. Most of the time, I mean, I do my duties. but uh, And I went home, and I didn't really talk. I didn't know what to do. I, I was just st- still kind of trying to figure out what that was, you know? So before I go home, I realize I'm on the flight schedule again for the next day. So the first flight that I just told you about was on a Monday. The next one was a refly on Tuesday, and our commanding officer was an uh, instructor pilot. So he took my pilot that made the landing yesterday before or on that day, uh, Lieutenant Lovegren, and myself out. And I didn't think anything about it. I thought it'd be okay. I'm going flying. I got a bunch of flights under my belt. Let's go fly, you know. I'd never heard of this or experienced anything like this. I didn't know what PTSD was or any of that. Just didn't know about it. No, that wasn't even a phrase back in 1982. Nobody, That wasn't even what they called it. They didn't have a name for it. Uh, so anyway, we get, in the, we get in the air and we're starting to make the approach. And I'm now seeing the same thing I saw the day before, right before we had our bad landing. And I start having anxiety. And I don't. I didn't know what was going on, but I instinctively knew that I didn't want the skipper to see that he's sitting right next to me. I'm a little bit, he's a little bit ahead of me, but then when I lean by what I would do on take on a, uh, on landing, if we have to wave off for like a dog or truck on the runway or something, you never know. Uh, if we have to wave off, it's the engineer's job to push the power levers. So I bent forward and acted like I had my hand on the power levers. I'm ready to go in case powers, uh, um, is called by the pilot and he wants more power. What I was really doing was leaning forward so my skipper couldn't look over and see my face because all he could see is the back of my head that way. You know, and I didn't want to look outside so that solved both problems at the same time. And uh, first few landings, I could not look outside. Couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I had to convince myself that, and you know, it's kind of too late, I'm the only engineer on the airplane. Number one. Number two, I can't turn to the skipper and say, you mind if I bail out today? I don't really like it up here anymore right now. So I had to work my stuff through it and get past that. I did. And after that, I didn't have any more troubles with that. And then it's Wednesday. I don't have to fly, I don't think, but I'm home with family. It's after hours at work. And uh, this sounds unrelated. I don't know how, but I know they're connected somehow. But the incident on the runway and the airplane... Uh, was uh, some sort of open some sort of door or something I I don't know how but on Wednesday we we're watching a TV show that used to come on regularly back then uh, and there was a show that was called uh, That's Incredible I remember that show pretty, yes <laughs> pretty good. I can't remember the guy's name that was on there but uh, Kathy Lee Crosby and Frank Gifford that's who it was and they ended up getting married because they met on that show so I thought that was pretty cool but uh, anyway, um, they had a show on there about Leslie Lemke, L-E-M-K-E, and you can still find his video on YouTube. And his um, adoptive mother uh, had adopted him when he was an infant, and told and she had said she had been told by uh, God that in a dream that she would be offered three babies to adopt, and she's t- soon because she couldn't have children, and she's to take the baby boy that's blind. And that's exactly what happened. And not only was he blind, they didn't know this at the time, I think, but later they realized he had no cognitive skills, couldn't talk, nothing, his whole life. He was like a full-grown infant, literally. And uh, she heard music one night. And she's after he's now an adult and she gets up to go downstairs to turn off the TV or something in the middle of the night. And here's Leslie, who has never spoken before, or certainly never sat, sang or played a piano, is now sitting at the piano and singing uh, gospel music. And just what I call the hauntingly holy voice. It just, oh, man, I heard him sing and I was like, that's a miracle. I knew I was seeing a miracle. That's all it can be. And so that night before I went to sleep I'm in bed I don't even say this prayer out loud I'm in my in bed I say a little 10 second prayer in my head you know and you don't really expect anything right so I said just uh out of gratitude of seeing my first miracle I was just thanking God for showing me I now know everything's a miracle I didn't know that at 24 (laughs) but uh, that's what I did. And it was just a heartfelt, genuine grat- uh, uh, prayer of gratitude just to God, nobody else. And I said, at the end of that prayer, and Lord, it'd be nice if you could do something like that for me someday. So mm. you asked for a miracle. I asked for a miracle, not realizing that. And, uh, and I found out from Lilia later what happened, and it's explained in the St. Germain books, it's called the call, com- the call, My Prayer, The Call, Compelled the Answer. Because God loves us so much, if we, but we have to ask and, and invite God in because of the respect level, God will not interfere with our lives unless we ask for, for that. Because that's part of how the law of love works. And uh, so I said that prayer, not realizing the impact it was going to have and not really even thinking anything else of it. I went to sleep, you know you think anything's gonna happen why what, what 10 second prayer in your head why would anything happen right um mm-hmm. but <laughs> we used to call it oh dark 30 in the military i don't know what time it was it was between three four in the morning something like that all of a sudden <clears throat> i didn't get a uh, i didn't go through a tunnel i didn't have anything like that happen like you hear people talk about near death experiences. Uh, I didn't know for years. It was decades before I learned what I had. is called a spiritually transformative experience, but I'd never heard of any of this near death. None of it before when it happened to me. Uh, and so I go to sleep, fell asleep right away, woke up at oh dark 30 in the morning and it's instantaneous. The next thing I know, it's just like that. Boom. I'm now in a black void with the liquid molten golden white light right in front of me and it's awesome
0: I love it how you get so emotional because it is the it is really the most powerful experience in the world to know that we're that loved and it's an experience I
1: got big goosebumps right now (laughs) (laughs) everywhere I love that so it was uh, I was just dumbfounded. I couldn't believe when I was seeing, feeling, and experiencing just jaw-dropping beauty. I, I, the first thing you know instantly is you're in the presence of your creator. And you flat out know it. There's nothing else that can be. Nothing. Nothing. You know it. That being is in command, and you know it. <laughs> I don't mean command in a I'm gonna control you no matter what thing. It's a loving, I've got your back. Nothing's ever bad gonna to happen to you. Uh, I don't know how to put it into words.
0: It, it felt was, almost parental to me, but, but I was contained. It's like I had freedom, but also I was completely safe at the same time. And yeah, I don't yeah. ever feel that in body, you know, where you have total freedom and total safety at the same time. And right. I'm just like showered with enormous amounts of love.
1: And power, the power was immense power. I was like, what I instantly, later I had to think about it, Lo, but what I realized I was feeling was uh, infinite power, infinite wisdom and intelligence, which are the one and the same, you can't have one without the other, and infinite unconditional love. And they were in perfect balance. But God wasn't concerned about that stuff when I showed up. God only wanted to throw a cosmic scale party and go, it's Tony's <laughs> peace. But there was no sound. It was perfect, okay? Silence. God has perfected silence. Think about that. Is there any place here that's ever really silent? Hmm. Even if it's in a quiet room, what are you gonna hear? Your heartbeat, your breathing something not there it was perfect silence divine mm-hmm. silence
0: that's an interesting yeah that's an interesting way to describe it messages were transferred differently but it wasn't um, yeah it was peaceful it was
1: and it was total peace yeah all of that and so the love was the most profound thing that's the first thing you know it's unconditional and it's infinite there, there's no limit to how much you can absorb if you want just and I, it was unbelievable <laughs> and so what was did I going you, that?
0: Do you feel, Did you feel yourself changing when you were there? I mean did you feel yourself just like absorbing more and more of it?
1: Oh I wasn't it wasn't that I was absorbing it it was ripping through me I'm just <laughs> in the way you know that's what it's like it's rolling through the universe and I'm standing in the way I thought, <laughs> oh, that's what it, yeah that's what it's (laughs) like you're gonna get it if you're there you're gonna get it and it's gonna hit you full force uh but it's wonderful force (laughs) um so i was just dumbfounded and i said three words i remember saying three words i said uh, just in a dumbfounded expression i went oh my goodness and once again the call compel the answer. And I didn't understand this till years later when Lily explained it to me, she goes that good. And then goodness, all the goodness in existence blasted through me. It was specific. It was different from the love. It was different from God's excitement. It was different from God's joy. I felt those things about God being happy that I was back. Okay. But this was different and had its own tone, energy, whatever. And, uh, goodness and lilia said that was your goodness because you called oh my goodness Mm -hmm. and i never thought about that like that but what that means is we're all part of all of that that oneness is not only god's goodness and god's love it's ours too It's part Mm -hmm. of ours so we're god's children and you know we're here trying to learn how to love like that So I was just dumbfounded. I couldn't believe what I was seeing um, and feeling and experiencing. And then there was this, excuse me, I call it the urge to merge (laughs) moment. That's just all you want is to go further and deeper into the light. Uh, And I, uh, as that started to happen, um, I started seeing these, I'm staring at the light, I don't wanna look at anything else. Okay, and you know what I mean by that. It's that you can't. You just focused on that totally. But because of that, I could see this peripheral vision out, you know, I could see out in front of me some hands out there. And I didn't care about them. I saw them, but I didn't even think about them. And after a while, as that happened, the the bedroom, my bedroom that I was sleeping in started coming into my peripheral vision and just kind of bringing itself around me. I don't know how to explain that, but as it did that, I realized that were those were my hands. I had my hands out. I had sat up in the bed, and I'm holding my hands out to the light, and I realized that my wife was asleep because I could see her feet, and I could tell by how her feet were positioned under the cover that her or her body. I could see the you know I could tell if she or her back was to me. And I remember thinking, how can she sleep through this? This is like a 100 billion, trillion stars in here. How can anybody sleep through this? It's so bright. And then that's when I realized it was real. I was awake, and this isn't a dream. And as soon as I understood that, and God knew that, the light didn't go away instantly. Now this thing's big. It's in my bedroom, at the end of the room, the whole wall on that end is gone, and the part of the ceiling. So it's like a big circle that's just not a wall and ceiling anymore and God's in my bedroom, and I couldn't believe it. And the moment I realized that and recognized it, it all shrunk down in about a two, two and a half second maneuver. And that's when my heart broke. Because I just had the greatest love I'll ever know ripped away from. And I didn't know why I didn't get to stay I wasn't uh, told why it happened. Uh, nothing. I didn't understand anything. And I just sat there crying quietly, my wife sleeping, still dark. And uh, there was this light moving around in the wall, still. <clears throat> and all I want, I just stared at it begging the light to come back. That's all I wanted. Just one more second, please. That's all I wanted. And I sat there until the sun came up. And my wife woke up, and she sees me, and she's like, what's wrong with you? You know, I don't know how to answer that yet. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I needed an answer, but I didn't know how to answer it. And uh, that following Sunday, I thought I'd get my answer at church. And that didn't happen either. And I went up to the pastor afterwards. He was a guest pastor that week. And he kind of turned his back on me. He just walked off and didn't say anything. And I, I uh, was dumbfounded again within a matter of a few days and, uh, of each other. And then the following week, I tried to go to another church somewhere else with my wife. And it was a bigger congregation. I'd never been there before. So I, at one point they have this like open forum where you, people raise their hand and out in the congregation to bring up concerns or whatever. So I needed answers, right? I'm just like, I don't care who's, I'm going to go, right? And I'm trying to get up and ask my question and my wife knows what's going on. And she's grabbing my arm, yanking me back down. And I pull my arm away and I'm like, let go of me. I literally said that out in church <laughs> everybody 's seeing this, you know, and I needed answers and I started telling what a little bit of what happened. I started crying again because you can't not do that and it was a long time before I could tell my story where I had real good control of my emotions and be able to pull it back in but uh I got some sort of lame answer from that Mm. pastor too in front of everybody and I knew it wasn't the right answer because I know that I knew the standard even though I didn't understand that yet (laughs) (laughs) it was only four of four days old, (laughs) right? (laughs) So, um, I ended up, uh, out in the parking lot, another, uh, military person who was an officer came up to me and I think, I don't know if he knew I flew or he'd seen me before or something, but he kind of knew something It was a long time ago. So I can't remember the details, but I remember him telling me, you don't need to be talking about that anymore. (laughs) Really? Yeah, if you're going to be in the military, I suggest you you should not talk like that. He wasn't ordering me, but he was he wow. was walking up saying, you know, you probably won't get to stay in if you keep doing that. And I had not considered any of that. I mean, it was four days old. I didn't. So I'm getting whammed with all, hammered with all these different.
0: And that's that's the weird part. We come back to our lives, and we come back to other people's judgments <laughs> of what we just experienced, and we come back to traditions and all these different. All I can keep thinking is but you don't understand, but (laughs) you don't understand. (laughs) We've just shoved all this amazing consciousness into our forms. And then people are making, you know, judgments about where we are. I want to fast forward a little bit. And I'm really curious about how you help people in the military now. And, you know, how people found you um, after you've told your story and they've told you their stories and and have you counseled Um, some people?
1: Well, I'll help anybody I can if it comes up and I, I've learned to be more discerning about it um, because there are people out there that will try and take advantage of someone that they think is too nice. Yeah. it's happened before too. So I've had to learn how to see. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and, <laughs> I know. Um, I know. That's, that's the other downfall, isn't it? Because we yeah. come back and we see the divinity.
1: We in become vulnerable if we're not careful.
0: Yeah. How do you do that personally? You know, like that might help other near death experiencers or just people who are somewhat innocent. How do you discern?
1: I've decided to wait until uh, the opportunity comes up that the subject matter can uh, naturally progress in that direction. And it's a synchronistic thing for me. I will know I've decided instead of trying to push it on everybody because that's Tony's will wait and let God's will show up and then I'll know what to do. So that takes practice over years to learn how to do that and figure that part out. Um, so, and in doing so, I've learned it's a lot, it's a lot more interesting path too. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, but how do you discern who is, um, possibly going to take advantage of you and who is not?
1: Um, you can just tell after a period of time who's being genuine with their story and who's not. And or they will say things that they think you want to hear about the other side or something. And, you know, that's not right. (laughs) Okay, just know. And it's kind of like, how does a chief petty officer, senior enlisted rank, know when his junior troops isn't really performing well or doing right? Because you've got the experience. Okay, that's why, you know. And I, I, I don't know how else to put it into words other than intuition experience and having been there, done that, uh, you know, the difference
0: Yeah. Uh, and and early
1: on, you're so overwhelmed with all your emotions and you, so you're so needy for help and answers that you, especially if you're early days, you know, uh, it took me years to, to, um, be a lot more comfortable with talking about it and being able to open up about it and not sound crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't in your situation, you know, like in in the military, but I knew, um, you know, lived in Texas, and I knew not to talk too much about the after effects, you know, the intuition or the psychic flashes or any of that. But, and I didn't meet with a lot of um, support either. So I do understand that. But I did stumble into spiritual communities. And I did go here. Uh, daddy and Brinkley speak, and I did hear you know, like early on, some different near death experiences, and good. so then I felt you know, like I'm okay to talk about you it. Were, yeah,
1: that's good, you had that opportunity. It's my culture that I was in, in, enmeshed in in the military is not like that at all. No, <laughs> no, you, know, you didn't have you know, that at all. Prayers and all that, but they don't want to hear about your individual stuff. You know, if it's happening to you, they'll shut that down in a hurry. Um, so I didn't have anywhere to go, and and what happened to me was. I felt like I'd been kicked out of heaven without an answer. Right. And I felt like I got kicked out of the church too, two of them. Wow. Within within two weeks. And so I got angry. Okay. I was young and immature. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm an adult. I was doing adult things, but I'm still a kid in a lot of ways at that age. You still, you're not really, you know, you don't have the wisdom you think you do yet. And, um, um, yeah, that was hard. Just, I had no help.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when when did you feel like was it 20 years after? Or was it 10 years after? When did you feel like you had some greater peace with the event and the answers? Was it INS? Like
1: have, what it was after I started getting involved with just speaking and coming out more. Hmm. That's when I started uh and then I started meeting more people and getting more perspectives and getting a wider understanding and just you grow, you evolve. And God brings the right people into your life. If you seek, you shall find it will be brought to you. It might take a long, long time. Took me over three decades to find my answers, you know, and I got it through the St. Germain foundation and the St. Germain press org. that's where you get them <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i i love that and i i love how each journey is a little bit different and i do think that you know mine happened in 94 and i was in austin and so there was a little bit more you know there were pockets of spiritual groups and meditation groups who were very right. open to talking about these kind of things and i i think now When people come out, they have so much support and they can integrate these experiences so much quicker than they used to. Yeah.
1: Well, mine was back in 1982 and none of that existed. I mean, I think Ions was out and the first book I ever read that had anything to do with that was a couple of years. I don't remember when it came out, but it was the first one that uh, was his name. Uh, Raymond Moody wrote uh, Lessons from the Light. Yes. And that's when I knew I wasn't crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're like, yes, there's others like me. <laughs> yeah. There's others who are as brokenhearted yeah, for that light. I I crazy. Yeah. yeah, I do call us like people who are a little bit brokenhearted from our experience with God, you know, because we, we just forever long for that love.
1: It's so that that's the only true existence. That's where we're supposed to be all the time so that's why i'm so infatuated with and and love the saint germain books is because that what they are are teaching instructions on how to become an ascended master now that doesn't mean ascended master that you're have any spiritual uh uh, superiority or moral authority over anybody okay it's about that power and energy that is exist in the universe and we've become a master of our uh, consciousness to be able to bring that God consciousness into power and use in service of the light. And there are literally, there's literally nothing we can't do if we're doing it in the service of God for the right reasons, right purposes. What we're doing all here, in my opinion, what this all is here is a training ground. Yeah, We're in a training, the most sophisticated life simulator ever devised. Okay. We exist within it. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of it is for spiritual growth, so that we can learn how to love like God does, and uh, take care of this planet, and love God with our own hearts, and that's really all we need to do.
0: I no totally, problem. I totally agree. I don't know if you ever read that book, Hind's Feet on High Places, but it's no, I haven't. No, it's you know, it's inspired by Pilgrim's Progress, and it's about this Hind that is you know scared and she's going through many different places and she's trying to reach the high places which will be you know with with god with her shepherd and mm-hmm. The journey is what's so important. And that's what I look at here. And I was thinking about this today, how it is the journey we're trying to bring in that love, we're trying to bring in that spiritual truth and power for ourselves and for other people. And it's a struggle. (laughs) It's not always easy. And yet, you know, that's our journey is to do that. And that's what we get to take with us is however much love we bring in. It's like, that's our medal, you know, that's kind of like our gold medal that we take with us. Oh, look, I brought love here, you know, yay, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the, uh, that's the beauty of it. And it's, you know, that we get lost in thinking it's so many other things, but you're exactly right. There's nothing we can't do with that with bringing in God's power. I mean, as long as we're doing it for the good of humanity, then we will be given the tools.
1: Yes, yeah, they will, they will show up. And uh, it's just how they show up can blow your mind too
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know
1: right well, I'm I mean, gonna I have to say, tell you everything that's been going on I'm not going to tell you what what it's about because it's an ongoing investigation but it isn't I am uh, the one that provided all the evidence and all that so I'm not the one in trouble obviously but a lot of people are going to be in trouble. And I can't tell you any details because it's still an ongoing FBI investigation. But oh. when, it first, when I first got interviewed by the FBI, <clears throat> I told them I was going to wear my, that flight suit right there. I said, I'm going to wear that for whatever reason. If you can indulge me when I get there, please do so. Not crazy, but I'm going to wear my flight suit so you know who's showing up and why. Um, well, this flight suit's got like probably a dozen zippers on it. Metal. I'm talking about metal, right? You can see the wings. They're, those are metal wings on there. Uh, I've got big coin, a bunch of ink pens and stuff in there. I had a necklace on. I said all this metal. So steel toed flight boots, right? <laughs> so I show up with my chief's hat on, big metal emblem of my chief insignia on my ha- hat, uh, my cover. And so um, when I get there, these two investigators tell me I've got, got to go. This is their facility, right, in their uh, spaces. And they have a metal detector there, and I've got to go through their security protocol. Well, before I went there, I, wanted, I said a prayer, and I asked God to provide me with a sign when I get there so that I know whether or not I can bring up my spiritual reasons and my experiences with them so that they know why I did what I did and why it went down the way it did. And uh, so I walk in the door and I get there and they tell me I got to go through their security protocol. And I walk through their metal detector. And it was like I was a ghost. It didn't Mm -hmm. make a sound. They they look at each other. And one of them says to the other, is it on? And the other one said, I think it is. And so she walks around and walks through the metal detector wearing normal clothes like you are. And it lights up. that's when i knew and so one of these days i'll tell you all the other story but when it all hits the news and you'll you'll know it's going to hit the news one day it'll be big news wow and it's going to expose massive amounts of corruption at large scales and a lot of people are in trouble a lot of people are in big trouble but um, it's how that information came to me to make all that happen and then i walked through that metal detector. I'm laughing. I'm I'm chuckling in my head because I'm all excited and I want to be like when I was in the light, yeah, I know what's going on. (laughs) You know, this is gonna be a great ride. So the whole experience is like, I already know this is laid out before me. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Very, very interesting. Yeah yeah (laughs) i don't have a story like that um but i do know that we do we our energy can affect machines that you know uh, i've heard that
1: part of what my life has been about a big part of it was i gave an oath to defend the constitution and that oath did not end the day that i took my uniform off and walked and retired from the military Mm -hmm. Uh, that's an ongoing commitment because that constitution was it uh a God given document. I know the real story on how that happened and it's not everything we've been taught. There's a lot more to it than that. And uh that's part of what these Saint Germain books about, the, the uh, unsolved mysteries or untold mysteries. Untold mysteries. I can't remember the name of it right. Now. I'm drawing a blank. But um Interesting. It talks about the patriotism aspect and why this country's freedom is important and why God's got his favor on the United States of America and why this country will never fail. And that's uh, all has to do with the Constitution, too. So I, I'm defending that, and I'll defend it at all, at all costs because that's what I'm supposed to do. And I think because of that, that, that God knew I'd never quit or give up. And this whole thing has been almost a decade of profiling and work that I put in to make all this happen. I never mm-hmm. gave up. I never quit because uh, I knew God would show up uh, when the timing was right for God it has nothing to do with what Tony wanted or when Tony would like for all this to be over. But when Tony would want this or that to happen, Tony just had to keep showing up and let God do the work. And it would unfold in a manner that's just blew my mind. <laughs> I still can't believe all that happened.
0: Yeah. A whole it... lot
1: more of this happened. That shouldn't have happened, <laughs> but that, the metal detector was, yeah. uh,
0: I think we'll just leave people with that idea of you going through that metal detector and and the weirdest thing that happened with me with technology is I told my students one day that my energy has an effect on technology and I was like I swear it does and I put my hand out like this and the whole computer started like the whole screen and I was like oh sorry and they were like that was freaky it doesn't usually immediately do that but every once in a while Yeah, yeah
1: The FBI agents thought I was freaky, too.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> bet. I <Wiceless>. bet. <laughs> oh, the unexplained phenomenon. Little miracles here and there.
1: <laughs> That's still happening to me.
0: <laughs> so thank you, Tony, so much for sharing more of your story with me on my channel. I really appreciate it. My
1: pleasure. And my last thing is, everybody, just go be love and your life will be fine.
0: Yes, it's a verb. Be love. I love that. And if you want to hear more from near-death experiencers, please check out the link below for the summit, which will be occurring on June 23rd through University of Heaven. And I'm so excited to bring so many speakers to that event. But thank you, Tony, and may everyone be blessed.